0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is a, uh, a unique day for Daily Thunder because it marks the end or the final day of our five weeks together uh, with our summer Semester, which is really, it's, it's a challenge. It's always a, an interesting thing to go through as a leader, too, is that we, we become such a, a team here, and then suddenly everyone leaves. And it's, it's, a, it's a bittersweet type of a thing because there's a sweetness in it because there's a readiness in our ranks for the next step. It's like even an excitement to go home, to, whether it's to see family or to take Jesus into an environment where maybe you haven't represented him well in the past. And that actually can be an anticipation, it's a sweet portion. And it's also, there's a bitter side to it. And we begin to taste the mortality of this side of heaven. Uh, that there is a separation, that there is a, a parting of ways. Uh, I still remember that in my relationship with Leslie, it was very, very painful every time I would say goodbye. And I was always saying goodbye, always saying goodbye. And it was, it was miserable, because I just wanted to be married. And I said, I don't want to just have sunsets, I want to have sunrises. Uh, and that was my phrase that I was always using with her. And that's the same thing with the body of Christ. In a certain way, we're always saying goodbye to people. And we don't get to just be a clump. We have a job to do. And that job is not always in a clump. That job is oftentimes one or two of us somewhere else in the world, and there's a loneliness that can be associated with that, but we remember that we're not alone in this thing. Uh, And most people on earth today don't know that the body of Christ is still strong. And we can cluck our tongue and wag our heads at the body of Christ today and say, hey guys, we're so weak, but there are Strength points in it, and we don't want to just, you know, always make a blanket statement because it's not fully true. The Spirit of God is working in the church, and we get to taste it here. And I know that if it's here, it's other places too. And just because it's hidden and the media isn't covering it these days, the Church of Jesus Christ is alive. So, this is uh, session 13 or episode 13 in our series, Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America. And, you know, I've been sort of hard on America in these first 12 episodes, not because I don't love America, I really do. I'm not one of those anti-American guys, you know, who takes all the liberties for granted and wants to kick America. Oh, I love America. And technically, I wish I'd never needed to say anything negative about it. And yet, one of the things I'm doing in this series is trying to help us, as the church, correctly assess our current circumstances in our culture And with not social activism, but spiritual activism. I want us to be activated spiritually to address where our culture's at. And a lot of us just want to blame our challenges or our impediments on this liberal agenda out there. And I'm not going to say that doesn't have a lot to do with it. But it also has something to do with the lack of the church being the church in our country. And that's part of what I've been going through. Is like, hey, guys, we have a blind spot here. Hey, hey, guys, I think we've missed something here. And I'd like to begin to address those things proactively, spiritually. And so this is a message that's a little different than the rest in that it's actually sort of a positive one. I know you guys aren't even ready for that. You're like, whoa, 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 Eric. Uh, we've been so used to the ones that are always sort of making us feel like, wow, we have a lot of work to do. But there is one story that's gonna take place in 1935. So it's in the middle of the Great Depression, the middle of one of the darkest times in America's history, where you have the Dust Bowl, you have the Depression. It's, it's a heavy time in our culture, in our world, in this country. And there is going to be one story of this man that is going to rise up, even though he's in the most miserable of circumstances, he's gonna rise up and be an inspiration to the rest of the country. And it's it's a a really good story. And I'm calling this one The Iron Chin. The very first episode in this series was called The Fight of the Century. And this is not altogether different. It's just a few years off from that. In fact, the guy in this story is actually going to end up fighting Joe Lewis. Uh, and so it's a boxing story and I don't know why I'm attracted to boxing stories, but America American history boxing is like sort of our storyline It's interesting just to sort of see the ebbs and flows of our culture seem to go with boxing So I used to really like boxing. I may have said this in the five of the century I used to really be into boxing. My dad was into boxing. His dad was into boxing So I grew up wa- watching boxing And when you grow up watching it, you you don't really think much of it, Uh, you know, as far as this is a rather strange thing that I'm watching two people beat each other up. You know, you don't really ponder it from that. You look at it as a sport, which it it technically is. It's just a rather brutal sport. You know, one that maybe I shouldn't be promoting, (laughs) that I shouldn't be encouraging. And I had a really challenging situation in my life when I was in high school where someone uh, was watching over my brother and I uh, over a summer break, and uh, they, when my parents were gone like in Hawaii or something, and they were just monitoring us, we'd come home from school and maybe it wasn't summer break, we were coming home from school, so it must have been during the year, and I would, we would go to the park after school and shoot hoops. And they were convinced that we were going to the park and uh, selling, buying drugs, taking drugs. And so they told my parents that. And so my parents didn't know what to do with this, that their sons were on drugs. And uh, so it was somewhat of a difficult thing for me. And uh, at, at this juncture, my pastor, who had never really spoken to me before, <laughs> invites me over for, uh, I think it was the Hegler-Leonard Fights, And it was a special thing we had to pay, you know, a special TV thing. And I, I don't remember how it used to Where I think it was called pay-per-view uh, TV. And so he had bought the fight and he wanted me to come over and watch it. And I mean, I wanted to see that fight so bad, but I wasn't gonna be able to because I didn't have pay-per-view. And so I got to go over to my pastor's house and do it. My pastor used to be a drug dealer and he had been restored by Jesus and saved. So my parents had basically been working with him to watch me. And so little did I know that the reason that I was even coming over there wasn't just so I could watch the fight and he wanted to hang out with me, it was so that he could observe me. And his end conclusion was this guy isn't on drugs. Uh, uh, but that event, once I found out why he really invited me over, actually caused me to never like boxing again. It was an interesting thing. It was like, okay, I, you know, I, I was so hurt. That I had been accused, right? And so this is going to become a part of my storyline of I was very sensitive to false accusation. I had a really difficult time overcoming this, but boxing got associated with that. So you know, just think in this little series called Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America, I get to revive my interest in boxing. Uh, so who knew uh, that it was going to happen this way? But part thirteen, the Iron Chin. This is a... I love this story. I mean, this is a really good... This is one of my favorites right here, okay, guys? So I really like this Daily Thunder episode, and you guys haven't even heard it yet, and I really like it. James J. Braddock, the man with an iron chin. So there's a picture of James J. Braddock. Actually, he wasn't really that impressive of a human specimen. You know how you can see different athletes, and you're like, whoa... James J. Braddock just looks like the average guy, even in this room. There wasn't really anything that special about him, but this guy, you know, as the classic statement would go, was a fighter. He just had a fighting spirit, and he would not fall to the ground. So Marco, this is a hard name to say, Marco Ritatoff, is going to write on Braddock, and this is what he's going to say. He wasn't the most skilled boxer, but Braddock had an iron chin that took extended punishment and wore his opponents out. It's a strange statement to say that an iron chin wears an opponent out, but it really does take energy to swing your fists and to strike a blow. And when you strike a blow and nothing happens to the guy you struck and you keep doing it, it actually wears you out. And that was James Braddock's secret is he could take hits. (laughs) Such an odd boxing uh, strategy. Most guys are known in history uh, because they had, you know, the... They were able to you know, just knock out their, their opponents. And of course, one of the great pinnacle moments even in this is he's going to fight literally the guy that has the strongest punch maybe in history. And it's going to be Braddock against that guy, right? And Braddock is the guy with the iron chin. So there's a phrase, taking it on the chin. And that means to endure misfortune. When you're taking it on the chin, it's not a good thing, right? Uh, That means, you know, someone got in a good blow on you. And so it's a good boxing term. But to take it on the chin is not necessarily something you want in life. So, but having an iron chin is a little different. I'm going to describe it this way. It's never letting the blows of life stop you, impede you, or even slow you. Some of you have had some blows in your life. In fact, you don't need to live long to receive a blow. Some of you have had pretty extreme blows to the point where you've gone down to the mat and the referee's standing over you and counting. And how you respond to those blows is what I'm going to say is the measurement truly of your character, of your substance, of your strength that God has built in you and for much of my life I went down to the mat quickly I did I I look back at my younger years even in ministry and it was like there would be a blow that would hit me and I wasn't expecting it and if you don't have your guard up I mean that unexpected blow can dizzy you daze you and you can lose your balance and fall to the mat pretty quickly and I found myself a lot on the mat, just sort of sitting there. Uh, and, you know, with refs counting, it's like, are you going to give up, sir? <laughs> hey, Ludi, are, are you done for? Are you, are you ready to, you know, throw in the towel? And I, throughout my life, you might not say that I could take a, a punch, but for whatever reason, I've learned to get back up. And one of the things God has taught me as I was learning to get back up is how to take a punch, as opposed to just fall down every time the punch came. And so, you know, you could criticize my life in the early years for falling down a lot. But then one of the things that falling down a lot has taught me is that I don't need to fall down every time. And so for each of us, I don't know where you're at, but I know what our propensity is. It's a rare sort of person that turns out like a James J. Braddock. He, this guy, this, this is a study of a sort of person that is highly irregular and rare. And yet every single believer should turn out like this we have access to the kingdom treasury to actually grow and develop in what we could call an iron chin version of Christianity. The blows of life. So the Bible has different words for this. Difficulty, trials, tribulations, suffering, challenge. These are words that most of us shy away from. It's like, no thank you. Uh, I will take the blessing, the riches, you know, the increase. You know, I know there's other words in the Bible, I'll take those. Could I pass on these? It's like going through. We used to have a place called Furs Cafeteria. I don't know if you guys remember Furs Cafeteria, but it was like one of these buffet types of things where you walk through and then you take a little bit of this and then you go down and you take a little bit of this and you make your way down. You're picking and choosing what you want. And many people have looked at the Bible that way, like it's Furs Cafeteria, and you're going to come and go. No, I'm going to skip, uh, you know, the the green beans, and I'm going to go down here. Ooh, jello, and then you put that on, and you're going down here. No, I'm going to skip the broccoli. Oh, you know, pudding. <laughs> And you're skipping that which is not delightful and you're taking that which is. And that just isn't how you become successful in life. What you learn to do is take the difficulties that come to you, even though it's like broccoli on the plate, it's like, excuse me, I don't want that. Well, there aren't that many people out there. I know there's some people, I have have one of my children that loves broccoli. I mean, what's going on inside of that? It is an adopted kid, right? So maybe there's something in the DNA It's just like a little off, right? I mean, who likes broccoli? And so, but he loves broccoli, cooked or raw. I mean, it's like, what? And so there are the people out there that seem to like these things on their plate, but most people are like, "Uh, no thank you. And so as we're going through the line of life, God says, could you receive these things on your plate and eat them with joy? Because when you do, I guarantee you, I'm gonna make you strong. But when you don't receive that list, difficulty, trials, tribulation, suffering, and challenge properly, you actually become very unhealthy in your life. You actually become weaker by not taking the exercise that these things want to bring to you. So C.T. Studd talks about something he calls a chocolate soldier which at first blush, especially those of us that like chocolate, is like, huh, a very tasty soldier. But this isn't a compliment, guys. A chocolate soldier is one that melts when the heat turns up. And so, in history, a chocolate soldier is the weak soldier. It's the one that when the storm of battle starts, he puts his tail between his legs and runs the opposite direction. He's the coward. And there is nothing in us that wants to be that guy. We want to be the one that actually fights our battles well. But to be able to fight your battles well, you have to receive the challenge of battle without uh, turning up your nose towards it. We We just are built to dislike certain things in life, especially when you grow up in an American culture where you can go to the grocery store. I mean, just think about the cereal aisle in a grocery store. It's like an entire aisle, cereal aisle, just cereal. And you can pick and choose, hmm, you no, know, I'd like a little of this. No, I don't want that. Oh, yuck. You know, that one doesn't quite meet my palate standards. When I was in Australia, and I think Australia has changed since then, but uh, back when we were first married, so we've been married, what, 28 and a half years, right? And we were in, on a tour in Australia somewhere around one year in, maybe one and a half years into our marriage. They had like three cereals in Australia. Muesli was one of them. Okay. None of them were very good. Right. And I remember going down there and going, and we were in the grocery store and I'm looking at my cereal options. Now being an American, I expect a little more out of a cereal aisle than this. I mean, excuse me. I have uh, what was that? Uh, that stuff that they have, Vegemite. So here's Vegemite. And then I have my muesli. It's like, excuse me, but these options don't quite pass the sniff test of Eric Lutie. and. You know, when we grow up in this culture, we're used to our opinion. Our customer service expectations are pretty high. You know, you give me what I want, and I will give you a good review. In the kingdom of heaven, we can't live that way. We can't be demanding. We actually need to receive well what we, rec- what we get in life instead of grumble and complain about it. The grumbling and complaining is the surest sign that we're spiritually unhealthy. When we are rejoicing in every circumstance, even if the the situation is difficult, even if the situation is a trial, it's a tribulation, we are considering it pure joy. Because it's this very trial that is going to build me to be stronger for the task that I've been assigned. This is my secret as a Christian. I receive challenges in my life with joy. And when I do, I become stronger for every challenge that follows. This is growing me up. So here's a contrasting idea is to, instead of being a chocolate soldier, to be what's called in history a brave-hearted soldier. A brave-hearted soldier is is completely opposite of the chocolate. So whatever the chocolate is, you know, they cower, they stick their tail between their legs and run, a brave-hearted soldier gets stronger when the difficulty increases. In a time of war, what you will notice is that there are two different types of men that go out to battle. And there are some that actually shrink and get smaller in their stature when they hit the battlefield. And there's others that are even shocking, like you're not even expecting it, they actually grow taller. And so those are the ones that during a time of war are going to be elevated in their positions in, in leadership in battle because they prove themselves in the, t- in the time of testing. Every single one of us wants to grow taller instead of shrink in a time of battle. So this starts internally for us right here, because I don't know what you've done up up to this point in battle. You may be falling to pieces in battle. But right now, you make a decision to say, Lord, it's time, I wanna grow now. I wanna grow taller. This is what was happening in my life. I was being crushed by the weights of ministry, crushed, to the point where I was ready to give it all up. And I remember coming to a place where I made a decision was a, I, I can, uh, ironically, my session this morning for the, the students is going to go in-depth into that moment. So it's ironic that I have this daily thunder in the day that I have that session. But I made a decision that I was no longer going to shrink. I was no longer going to be a mouse when it came to challenge. I wanted to be a man. And that was a changing point in my life. A brave-hearted soldier, one that grows 10 feet taller when the bullets start flying. Boy, do we want to be that. All right, guys, let's dig into our American legend, James J. Braddock. If you know this guy, you're already excited about this message. Like, oh, yeah, James J. Braddock, I love this guy. So there's a picture of him. Don't you like this guy? Look at that. How would you like to get hit with that fist? You see, that is his left hand. Now, what's ironic about that is this guy cannot fight with his left if his life depended on it. It's just like dead weight down there. And everyone that fights him knows that. So, I mean, all he can hit with is his right. And so he's a, he's a handicapped fighter because of that. And everyone is, is whispering, it's like, he, Braddock can't hit with his left. Braddock can't hit with his left. Which is why it's ironic to have a picture with him with his left fist, like, hey, watch out for this. And, you know, as Christians, we're oftentimes in the same boat where... The enemy knows exactly how we can hit well and where we can't. Where where do you think he's gonna hit us? Do you think he's gonna go to our strength or do you think he's gonna go to our weakness? Well, if you're a good boxer, you don't go to someone's strength, you go to their weakness. Same with tennis. I mean, if any of you play tennis and someone doesn't have a backhand, where do you hit every single hit? You're going straight to their backhand every single time. You ever played someone ping pong and they can't hit their backhand? Unless they get like this and do this, just keep going to their backhand. You'll win them every. You'll beat them every time. It's just the secret, right? James has this weakness, or Jimmy, is how his friends knew him. Jimmy, Jimmy Braddock. Brett McKay says this: perhaps no boxing story has transcended the literal nature of the sport to become a grand symbol more than the story of James J. Braddock. His rise, fall, and comeback paralleled the struggle and hope of an entire nation. He was the man who rose from relief to royalty and inspired every man who got down on his luck and hoped to get back on his feet. In a strange sense, this is going to be a story of our country, which is why our country loves this guy so much, is because in a strange sense, his story is the story of our nation. Our nation has some problems. We really do. And we've been seeing some of those. And you know, some of us, that's hard. We don't like looking at our pockmarks, but we also have strengths. And this story shows one of those strengths. Our nation has an iron chin. We've been hit, we've been hit, we've been hit, and we're still standing, right? And sometimes we wonder how long we will keep standing. Do we still have that iron chin? I don't know, let's see. The right-handed boxer. He was tough, but not tough enough. Marco Margaritatov says, Braddock steadily rose in the ranks to build a record of 33 wins, four losses, and six draws by November 1928, when he knocked out Tuffy Griffiths in an upset that stunned the sport. Go Braddock! So this is a big moment. So we're in 1928. I know if you're following this series, you know that we're in the 1930s. So this is sort of old Braddock. Braddock, before he's going to run into some difficulties. Marco again says, James J. Braddock lost his next five, but won the following three. He was now one bout away from challenging Gene Tunney for the title. He had to defeat Tommy Loughran to do so. However, he not only lost that fight on July 18, 1929, this is right before the crash, by the way, if you guys remember the crash uh, in 1929, but fractured the bones in his right hand and would spend the next six years fighting for his life. So remember, if you only fight with your right hand and right at this key bout, you're not just gonna lose, but you're gonna fracture multiple bones in your right hand and this is all you can do to earn money, is box. And now, if, if you know the story of America, you know that when that crash hits, it hits hard. Blow after blow to the chin, the season of proving. Have you ever felt like blows to the chin can be grouped in clumps and clusters? Where it's just like, you're fine, you're walking through life, it's like, you know what, life isn't that difficult. And then suddenly, boom, 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 and you get a whole raft of blows to the chin in a very short period of time. Well, the enemy loves to create combination punches. He knows the effect of that. A combination punch can bring someone to the mat pretty quickly. And so, if you've ever received a combination punch, which is multiple punches in a short period of time from the enemy, it's a tactic. And I have to admit it's usually fairly effective to start getting you grumbling, to start getting you going into self-pity mode, to start getting you to turn inward, or in boxing terms, to fall to the mat. And so as a Christian, we need to be aware that these blows are actually one of the things that is going to prove the essence of what God has built in us. Is it there or not? Do we have something to draw on or not? Because when you receive blows to the chin, this is when you look to Scripture, you look to your God, you say, God, what do you ask me to do? He says, I want you to give thanks. I want you to rejoice. We're like, you have got to be kidding. I'm receiving blows to the chin. And Eric, if you want to show the kingdom of heaven right now, do it my way, and you'll realize that you'll actually overcome in this situation. You'll see my faithfulness revealed. Brett McKay says it this way, without an education or a skill beyond boxing, Braddock searched for work of any kind to support his wife and three kids. So this guy was actually rather wealthy. He had, you know, when you're winning boxing fights, you're actually bringing in a lot of money and that money is significant, like an athlete's is now, to the rest of the earning class or the working class. So he had a lot of money and he invested part of it into a business, he'd invested the rest of it into the stock market. So all of his money was either in the bank, in the stock market, or in this business. The business closed, and he lost it all. The stock market crashed, he lost everything, and the bank that he had all of his money in closed, and every bit of it was gone. All of his money, every cent of it was gone. Whew, now this guy has no other trade, no other ability, he has a broken right hand, And he has no other skills, no other education to appeal to, and there's no jobs. So, and he has three kids. Daily, he would walk the three miles to the docks at Weehawken and Hoboken to see if work could be found. If there was, he would spend the day unloading railroad ties. If there wasn't, he would walk another two miles to West New York. If there wasn't any work to be found there either, he'd walk home to try and find some odd jobs like shoveling snow. It wasn't, usual for him to, it wasn't unusual for him to walk 10 to 12 miles a day in search of a way to put food on his family's table. Brett McKay says this. Now I just, this is one of those things that in the movie scene you feel because a, a movie or something in actuality is able to sort of bring you into the human emotion of this, but see if you can still go there. Braddock's neighbors who used to stop and shake his hand and slap his back now crossed to the other side of the street when they saw him coming. He poured drinks at an athletic club for guys who used to take pride in his rise to prominence and now simply pitied the sad man behind the bar. Don't you feel for this guy? I mean, he's really going through it. And yet, that's part of the great story. Have you ever noticed that every great story usually has a scene like this in it? You know, a, a portion of the story that has to really ebb low. The same is true with our lives. It's not ease that makes us strong. It's difficulty. It's difficulty. And so, But it's how we handle our difficulty, because you can go through difficulty and not get strong. You can go through difficulty and it actually makes you worse. Because if you give way to self-pity, if you give way to anger, if you give way to unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness, it'll destroy you. But difficulty, when responded to properly, is like going into the weight room, having a weight in your hand, and choosing not to be defeated by this weight, but to actually do reps with it. And when you do reps with that difficulty in your life or that weight in your life, your muscular stature in your soul gets stronger through it. Working the docks. This isn't quite what we had in mind. Now, I'm saying we because I'm bringing us into this story. You see, we're James J. Braddock. We have limitations, too. We have certain things that we've leaned on in our past, like our right, uh, is, our, is our strength. But we have weaknesses too. And God's like, hmm, I'd really like to address those weaknesses. I'd really like to make you a strong fighter. Well, God, it sure doesn't seem like you're doing a very good job because I can't even get a fight. No one will allow him to fight anymore. I mean, he's a has-been. He's, he's washed up. There is no hope for James J. Braddock. And the guy, even as he's working in the docks, is going to break and fracture his hand again once he gets another small fight. And so now his hand is even worse off. It's been bandaged for almost six years is the way you would look at it. He hasn't been able to even use it. Work in the docks. We have seasons in our life where we're working the docks. And this isn't really what we envision for our life, or our family. It's like, Lord, what is this? Well, how do you handle that season of work in the docks? David, I don't think his dream in life was to shepherd sheep. And even when he was anointed king, do you know that he was sent back to shepherd sheep? That's sort of like work working the docks, guys. It's not what anyone expects. It's like, but God, I thought you anointed me king, and I'm like taking care of sheep, which was the lowest position in all of Israel. He has been anointed for the highest position, and he is working the lowest position. Just imagine what that is. But if you study the life of David, one thing you know is his season as a shepherd is what's going to make him a great king. What does every nation need? They need a king who knows how to be a shepherd. And Israel is going to receive a king that is going to be an emblem and a picture and a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, but he's also a king. And that is the great amalgamation of work that God does in our life, of taking our low points, our working of the docks, our shepherding of sheep seasons in our life, and making us fit to rule nations. Or as you could see in scripture, we're called to rule with him in this eternal realm. That's like ruling worlds, if you wanna say it that way. God is going to raise us from ruling just our own thoughts and our own hearts, our own emotions, our own minds, to ruling worlds. Who knows what God has in store for us who believe in him? Six years of agony. So remember his boxing record? He was looking pretty good, guys. You know, He was like 33 and, what was it, four, with six uh, draws. I mean, that's a good record, guys, for a heavyweight fighter. He's going to have 20 losses in a six-year period. This guy is going to become the brunt of jokes, and that's why people are walking on the other side of the street. It's like, oh, there's James J. Braddock. Let's go over here. They used to applaud him, pat him on the back. He was a hero, and now he's the has-been. Now he's the joke, but he has no other way of making money. So he's going into the ring, just giving it his best, and he just keeps losing. Oh, this is a hard season. He lost everything in the 1929 crash. Struggling to keep the electricity on. And yes, again, he's going to shatter his right hand. And no one will give him another fight. James, or Jimmy, no. No more fighting. No, we're not going to put you on the card again. No, no, you're an embarrassment to the sport. This guy has nothing other than to continue to try and work the docks with one hand. The championship training begins, cue inspirational movie score here. So what we need is like some kind of movie score music that comes on right here, it needs to be in your imagination. And there's gonna be a training that is taking place and he doesn't even realize it. This is his darkest moment in his life but he's being trained for something. And I'm gonna say the same for you guys. This is just a life lesson. If you're going through a difficulty, just put inspirational movie score music behind it. Because that is the moment in which God is building you strong for something. James J. Braddock is being built for something right here, and he can't see it yet. To him, it's just darkness. To him, it's difficulty. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Jimmy, this affliction you're going through right now, which is for six years... Is working for you a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, Hebrews twelve ten through eleven. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. Jimmy, I know your circumstances, the circumstances in in your culture, the circumstances in your world, the circumstances in your finances, the circumstances in your physical body. You know it's it's a chastening, and it's it's indeed for you know six years, but I'm allowing you to go through this for your profit. That you may be partaker of my holiness, says God. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Hupomone, something that is unbreakable. It's an iron chin, guys. If you want to get a word to translate for iron chin in the Greek, it's hupomone. Translates as patience. Now I know our idea of patience is like uh, uh, a little different than that, right? It's a weak word in our culture. In the Bible, it's not a weak word. You know how someone endures martyrdom with patience. Patience is the iron chin of Scripture. Ooh. The amazing result of having a busted right hand and working the docks. So imagine what it would be like to have to work the docks and your right hand is you know wrapped up in some kind of cast and all you have is your left hand as far as a control thing. You know what's going to happen to this guy while working the docks? What's he going to get out of all of this time? He's going to get a left hand. Or can't you guys just see this? I mean, this is, this is great. This is the equivalent of Wax on, wax off. I don't. I mean, I'm not a promoter of movies, but I mean that's a great moment. You know where? Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Mike. What's the character's name in that story? Daniel Larusso, who's like, you know, you just teach me. I'm just waxing your cars. I'm painting your house. I'm doing all this stuff. What's this? And then suddenly, you know, Miyagi uh, says, you know, wax on, and he goes, and he blocks. And little do you know that everything you're learning in while working the docks is actually training you to be great in the ring, to be great in your Christian life, to stand when everyone else would fall. Why? why are you able to stand now? Everyone else is on the streets and they're still struggling, but suddenly you're going to rise up with the ability to help others, why? Because you embraced the docks, because you had the right attitude in the docks, because you allowed God to build your left hand even though you were crying over your right hand. And this is actually what's going to change his life and make him something very, very special in history. So Marco Margaritov says in 1935, fighter Corn Griffin was desperate for a local name to fight. So Corn Griffin is a rising uh, boxer. And he needs someone local to fight. I think his other one fell through, and so he needs something. I think he probably needed the money or the notoriety. He needed to get one more win and a scorecard so he could uh, make it to fight the heavyweight championship. And so they can't find someone local, but there's Jimmy Braddock. No, not Jimmy Braddock. Not Jimmy Braddock. Well, he's the only one we can find. All right. I mean, but it was sort of like this is going to be embarrassing. Because Corn Griffin is just going to knock him out in the first round. This is, but, okay, we don't have any other options. So Jimmy Braddock, after all of this, is suddenly going to get another fight. And it's going to be against the, this rising star, Corn Griffin, of course, that is just unstoppable. It's like a freight train. Jimmy Braddock has no hope in this fight. In fact, he has two days to prepare for it. He hasn't boxed in, you know, what, over a year, two years? And now suddenly has two days to prepare for a fight. (laughs) Who are you betting on, guys? You gonna bet on Corn Griffin or this old washed up guy with the broken right hand that hasn't won a, I mean, lost 20 fights in the past six years. I mean, this guy's a joke. Brett McKay says at age 29, Braddock was in the best shape of his life. Well, isn't that an irony? Braddock is in the best shape of his life from his constant walking and work on the docks. Though he had only two days to prepare, he didn't hesitate to accept the bout with Corn Griffin. Two hours or an hour would have been enough, Braddock later said. Marco Margaritov says, Miraculously, Braddock knocked Corn Griffin out in the third round. Every, <laughs> everyone is like, What? What? Jimmy did it! I mean, this is just an amazing moment, guys. Even Jimmy Raddick can't figure out what just happened. Because all he's had is misery for six years. And he's had to overcome, to overcome, to overcome. This guy does not want to get on welfare. Finally, because he's so desperate, his electricity is turned off, he, he gets on welfare. When he starts winning fights and he starts getting money, he actually pays back the government any welfare checks he received. This guy's a very unique character in history. Marco Margaritoff says, then Braddock defeated John Henry Lewis and beyond all comprehension, gained his shot at the title after beating Art Lasky and breaking the fighter's nose. Everyone's just sitting back in shock, like who is this guy? He now has a left. How did he get a left? Jimmy Braddock is washed up, and now suddenly he's a better fighter than he's ever been? That doesn't make any sense to anyone. Marco Margaridoff Marco says, defending champion Max Baer thought of Braddock as an easily beatable opponent. So Max Baer is a giant. He's a bear. I mean, that's a, that's a great name for him, Bear. He is a giant. He probably has the hardest, the strongest punch maybe in boxing history. Two men died in the ring uh, fighting him. And so this is like a monster character. And Jimmy Braddock is three years older than him. He's just sort of this decrepit guy that doesn't even have a good boxing record anymore. I mean, his boxing record looks terrible. He's not fit to fight for the championship. However, he's beat everyone he needs to to fight for the championship. He's in line to fight Bear. Bear's like, oh, you've gotta be kidding. I'm gonna have to fight that guy? I don't wanna fight that guy. And of course, all the pressure's on. Everyone wants to see Jimmy Braddock at least fight. I mean, come on, he deserves it. I mean, this is is our hope and future. All the working people of the country are cheering Jimmy Braddock because they feel like they identify with him. This guy was on the streets. This guy was working the docks. This guy was bartending. He had nothing. His electricity was turned off, and everyone's saying, yeah, like mine. I went through that too. But look at him. Look at how he's become stronger through it. This is the great secret of Christianity, guys, right here. How do you handle this season in your life? How do you handle the dock season? How do you handle the crash of 29? How do you handle those 20 losses? When the devil's saying, sit down, shut up, give up, what do you do? You rise up. You defy the enemy and say, I'm not done. God has a job to do through me. Watch what my God will do. So here we are, championship fight. Aren't you guys excited? I I actually tried to look up the call, you know, with the actual uh, radio call, announcer call on this, couldn't find it. I'm sure it's out there. I just didn't have enough time to look for it. And because that would be really fun uh, to hear it. But the odds were 10 to one that Bear would crush Braddock. By the way, those are the greatest odds in heavyweight title fight history. This is truly, if you want to say David Goliath, This is David and Goliath. Look at this Oh, I guess we we can't get to the picture yet. Just be patient. It certainly looked bad for Braddock when the opening bell dinged at Madison Square Garden on June 13th, 1935. Braddock endured a powerful parade of punches in the opening rounds. Oh, no. Oh, no, guys. Of course, uh, I don't know if you guys know how this is going to turn out yet. Uh, Have I given any foreshadows? I didn't give any spoilers, did I? I hope he doesn't go down. Wouldn't that be terrible? Braddock has never been knocked out. Did you know know that? Even though he lost 20, he'd never been knocked out. Remember that iron chin? Yeah, that is a very special quality this guy has. Marco Margaritov, but Braddock knew how to take a punch. His iron chin never wavered, and eventually, Bear grew tired. This guy, with possibly the strongest punch that has ever been in the ring, cannot wear Braddock out. Instead, Bear is being worn out. He cannot break this guy, why? You do know who Jimmy Braddock is, don't you? You do know what he's gone through? Jimmy Braddock isn't gonna fall for anything now because Jimmy Braddock now has an opportunity. He's taking all of that character, all of that strength and he is defying Bear's muscle. To the shock of all spectators at Madison Square Garden that night, Braddock won and became heavyweight champion of the world in a unanimous decision by the judges." Look at that height. That's a, that's a giant of a man, bear. bear is on the right, by the way. And Braddock is just sort of this, you know, little guy. Don't you like Braddock? I like Braddock. I like the uh, li- little guy. So there's just a picture from the fight. That's Braddock on the left. There's Braddock after signing autographs. I think he was as shocked as anyone else. So can your chin take a spiritual punch? Because we're not really talking about James J. Braddock, truly, we're talking about God's working in us. Yes, we're talking about our nation, and we could ask the question, can our nation take a punch? We have. We've taken quite a few punches over the years. That's one of the things I think we all love about our nation, is we're a lot like Jimmy Braddock. And for good reason, we should be proud. We should feel good about that, and we should give a big, you know, cheer. But really what matters is what's going on inside of us. Because as believers, we have been given everything we need to actually have an iron chin. So if you don't have an iron chin and yours is rather fragile and easily breakable, well, then maybe you should go after your iron chin that is for you just right there in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. So I call it the grace gap. When our chin is fragile, he supplies iron in order to make it strong. So let's imagine that you have a trial, and that trial is at eye level, okay? This is how high the trial is. But imagine that your strength that you currently have, even spiritually, like the character that's been built in you and the spiritual moxie that you've developed, is right about chest level, right? Uh, Guys, there's a gap there. Which means that when that bear comes at you, that there is a shortfall that you have and you don't have the ability to handle it. And so you're breakable. You are vulnerable to defeat in that situation. The amazing thing about the kingdom of heaven is God knows that we fall short. Because for many of us, it's not even that close. I mean, we're like way down at toe level and the challenges we're facing are eye level. We're not even close. But we have a champion that loves to supply us with iron ore. And he will give us everything we need, whenever we need it, to meet the challenge and the demand that is coming against us. We will never be tested beyond what he is able to supply for. So therefore, whatever comes our way, if it is a bare fist, we have the grace to actually have our, jaw, our, our chin firm up with spiritual iron. I have walked through this so many times in my life where I have been hit, and I've been hit hard. And I have watched God give me grace to smile back, to actually grin in the face of extreme challenge. I've watched it. I've seen this happen. And the guy that's talking to you used to never grin or smile. I would just go flat on the mat. And so something has changed inside of this guy named Eric Ludy, And it's something that is available to have as a change in each one of us. You no longer need to be the coward. You no longer need to be the one that easily falls to the mat when the challenges and the difficulties, the trials of life come. But there is something that God wants to do in you to actually build you up. But to, to have that happen, you need to embrace your dogs. You need to embrace the busted right hand for a season because God is strengthening your left. You need to embrace the fact that even though it seems so unjust that all of your hard-earned money is evaporating in one day, that God knows your circumstances and will supply for you, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, that he is your refuge and strength, the very present help in your trouble. Therefore, you should not fear. God is here. He is with you. He will equip you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 talks about this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So how do you have the power of Christ rest upon you? You recognize that you are vulnerable. Where you're fragile, he comes in and makes you strong. His grace is sufficient. One of the ways that Charles Spurgeon describes that is like a little fish uh, in the midst of the ocean. And he says, it's like a little fish saying, but Lord, will I run out of water? I don't know, is there enough water for me to swim in? And God's statement is, oh little fishy, my water, my ocean water is sufficient for you. That's the sufficiency of God's supply. It is so massively beyond what a little fish would need. And that's what that word sufficient for you means. It is so far beyond what you need. You have everything you need for life and godliness in such a way that a little fish has enough water in the ocean to swim in. That's the supply you have been given as a child of the Most High God. Brett McKay says this, Braddock will never be called one of the greatest boxers of all time. He was slow-footed and ungraceful. But what he lacked in talent and finesse, he made up for with gritty resolution. He knew he could take even the hardest punch and keep on standing. Yeah, kind of like that. You may not be known as the greatest theologian, the most uh, impressive wit. You may not be known as the most eloquent orator. But like James J. Braddock, you might want to be known for your gritty resolution And the fact that you could take even the hardest punch and keep standing. If I'm going to be a a boxer, I really want to be one like James J. Braddock. Because for me, that's more like the Christian life than anything else that I've seen. So there's a picture of uh, Jimmy with his wife, May, and his three kids. I really love his love. I wish I could just go into that. His love for his family is, is very, very special. But this next quote is something that may maybe one of my favorite things in the whole storyline, okay? This is a quote from his wife, May. But before I get to it, I just need to set the stage for it. Just like Jesus, the champion of champions, when he fought the greatest prize fight in history. Do you remember when Jesus goes to the cross? That's a prize fight. You guys didn't know that, did you? Uh, that, that was a prize fight. And he's fighting for, Jesus is fighting for his bride, And Jimmy in this scene, when he's fighting Bear, is fighting for his bride. He's fighting for his family. And it's very different than Max Bear. I don't don't want to criticize Max Bear. Max Bear is a very fascinating character in history too. But Max Bear is fighting for glory. He's fighting for fame. He's fighting for the girls. Uh, And Jimmy is fighting for a very different purpose. He knows what it's like to be on those streets. He knows what it's like to have his electricity turned off. And he wants his family to be cared for. And so listen to this quote. This is a great quote, guys. May Braddock says this, Jimmy wasn't seeing Max at all when he was in the ring fighting. What he saw was a fierce ogre trying to keep him from chasing the big bad wolf of poverty from our door. He was thinking of me and of the kids every minute of those 15 terrific fighting rounds. That's a great picture of the cross right there. That's an amazing picture of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus Christ thinking of when he was on that cross in those 15 terrific fighting rounds? He was thinking about his bride. He was thinking about his family, his children. He was thinking about us. Isn't that an amazing thought? See, can you guys understand why I like Jimmy Braddock? I mean, this guy is just my sort of guy. And you know, it's enough to start warming me back towards boxing even though some of you are like, oh, Eric, you may want to you know, take that slowly. Boxing is an odd sport, okay? I have to admit, it is a very weird thing to cheer on, but what an amazing uh, picture of the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for this illustration. I thank you for our nation and for its fighting spirit. I thank you for the fact that you've given us an iron chin in this nation. And I pray that right now you would build that iron chin strong, that the powers of the enemy and that ogre would not be able to knock us out. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon this country and an opportunity once again, instead of judgment, to receive your mercy and to have you revive us and to bring a spiritual revival to our land. And that you would hang Haman on his own gallows and that which is attempting to undermine our country and to destroy everything that we were built for. Lord, I pray that you would hang that on the gallows and that your purposes would be set free. Lord, you shed your grace on this land and we have sent forth more missionaries than any country in history. But Lord, I pray that our future could be more of the same. Lord, we hold our land loosely We recognize that the devil is making his claim for this territory, to bring it under the shadow of darkness. But Lord, we do thank you for what you've done in the past and we do pray that you would intervene now for your purposes for the future. Lord, use us, use us as the church of Jesus Christ to respond to the current circumstances with your nature, with your character, with your love, with your truth, with your boldness, with your courage. Lord, we pray these things in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this